Warning. Listening to this podcast could be hazardous to your mental health. Side effects could include random fits of yelling go bills to total strangers. For your safety, the entire collective medical community recommends caution when consuming this podcast. You are listening to Buffalo on the Brain with the most unathletic man in Bill's Mafia, Vince Taylor. I still don't care for that Tom Brady dude. What is up? Bill's Mafia, how are y'all doing on this wonderful Monday? Thank you for tuning in. You are listening to Buffalo on the Brain. I am your host, Vince Taylor. You are listening to me on the Built-In Buffalo Podcast Network. I know you're having a better Monday than you did last week. And the reason I know that is because the Bills were able to pull out a victory on Thanksgiving night over a very depleted Saints team by a score of 31-6. to But there's a lot of positive to take away from this game. I have to admit, I did not have a very good read on this Saints team. If we had blown them out like we did, it wouldn't have surprised me. If we would have got blown out, that wouldn't have surprised me either. But the what I did like, going into a short work week, little time to, to practice, little time to maybe make some changes after that just embarrassing loss to the Colts where Jonathan Taylor ran all over us. McDermott, wasn't messing around this week. He sat some guys, put them inactive. Zach Moss, inactive in favor of Matt Breida, which is something I've been wanting to see all year long. And also, Isaiah McKenzie bench after that ridiculous fumble where he didn't even get touched last week. Now, Marquez Stevenson is, for now, taking his place on the roster. That could change coming up against the Patriots. But, you know, I thought... Marquez Stevenson looked very McKenzie-like. In fact, if you would have told me that that was McKenzie, I'm not sure I would have been able to tell the difference. But what I do think is drafting Marquez Stevenson was a direct challenge to Isaiah. I said that in the offseason right after the draft, and I still think that was true. If he didn't get hurt, maybe he's on the practice squad for a little bit longer, but I still think him having that injury and getting on IR was kind of a blessing in disguise for Brandon Bean, I think he didn't want to put him on the practice squad, but here he is getting his first game action, and he looked he looked like McKenzie. He had that one muff uh, on the punt return, but he had some impressive-looking returns. You know, he didn't break any lungs off, but he was able to get some extra yards. little wiggle to him, just like McKenzie. And also, McKenzie's job and his jet sweeps and the motion stuff that he's been doing the last couple of years, last year anyway, and this year, you know, it's been almost non-existent this year. We haven't seen it. We saw a little bit uh, a couple weeks ago. Last week, not at all. And, and this week, he's not even active. So I don't think McKenzie fans need to panic. I still think he's got a role for this team. But I think looking to 2022, it might not be the same. It might be Miss Stevenson's turn. But I like the move, benching some players who were not performing. I liked Vernon Butler getting benched in in favor of a couple of practice squad guys. And that's sending a message. I think there's probably a little bit of complacency here. And when you talk about getting comfortable after a big win and coming right back out and getting handed to you the way we did, you know, if this team really wants to be considered one of the favorites to make the Super Bowl, we got to start stacking up some wins. We can't be win one, lose one, win one, lose one. We got to put some win streaks together against some quality teams. We did beat the Chiefs. That is absolutely true. And it was a big win for us. And we all felt that it was maybe a turning point for this franchise. But since then, it's not really been like we wanted it to go. And that Kansas City team is not the same as it was when we faced them. Oh, probably a month or six weeks ago now. We have to start beating some quality competition. The Saints with Trevor Simeon, not that. The Dolphins with either Brissett or Tua, not that. Washington football team, Taylor Haneke, not that. 
the Texans, Davis Mills, not that. We are beating up on all of the backup quarterbacks. We need to start beating some quality teams. That's not to say we can't. I still believe things that I said before were true. We're a better team than Tennessee, even when they were fully staffed. We're not playing like that right now, but we do have that potential. It is killing us that the offensive line is so thin. And I keep saying it and I keep saying it, but I still think it's true. Spencer Brown at right tackle was not the plan when we drafted him. That was a developmental piece. And now this offense does not function very well without him. Yes, we did against the depleted Saints team. But I wouldn't have been surprised if the Saints were able to blow us out. Didn't have a good read on them. I thought if they played Taysom Hill, that would have been a better game and a worse matchup for the Bills. And I don't know why they didn't. Uh, Someone out there might know if he's hurt or not. I was not aware of an injury to Taysom Hill, but perhaps he is injured. But just, I I don't like that Saints offense when he's out there running it. But I, I think against this Bills team, that could have been something that could have given us a little problems. Instead, they roll Trevor Simeon out there. Not a great game for Trevor Simeon. Playing against, uh, you know, a weak offensive line. And, you know, really no good. Your starting skill position players are out as well. Kamara's out. Michael Thomas is out. You know, Trevor Simeon was set up to fail. But I think the other part of this story is the defensive line that we have invested so heavily in has been very hit and miss this year and really more miss than hit. And I think that's because we're taking advantage of some lesser offensive lines. We had two sacks on Thanksgiving against the Saints offensive line. We destroyed the first matchup against a really weak Dolphins starting offensive line, uh, but they just disappear and they, they don't always show up. Um, at least closing the sacks is what I, I think that's the better way to say that because we do get pressures. That's not different from last year. Last year, we were able to get some pressures. I think the rotation's a little bit heavier this year. I, I said last week that I wanted to see the rotation maybe be put to bed, and I feel validated when I see people smarter than me having the same thought. But that's not to say I, I believe this team has the potential to get there my confidence level in getting to, well, even the playoffs has taken a shot after that Colts loss and after the Jacksonville loss and over and over and over again. Not expe- I never was one to say that this team was going to go undefeated. I try to be more of a realist. I'm much more balanced. I thought this team would lose somewhere between three and five games, honestly. And we're at four. We have six to go. We got a couple of tough ones on the schedule. Two Two of them coming up against the Patriots. We have the Bucks on the schedule as well. But right now, I say, and I think this is a smart way to look at it, the Patriots won today. And there's a certain section of Bill's Mafia that thinks we still have a shot at the number one seed. I'm not buying that. I don't see it. I don't think the, the tiebreakers are there for us in this situation. I think... I'm not even 100% certain that this Bills team will win the AFC East. I, you can say whatever you want about Mac Jones, and I'm not even here to disagree with any of that. But as a whole, that team's playing pretty well. Um, I know they beat Titans when they're completely depleted, both their wide receivers and Derrick Henry out. And that was really the core of that team. So the, the Patriots caught a break there, but they have been playing really good teams. Tough. We still have two against them. If we split, you know, there's some doubt. I'd really like to get the first one coming up this next week against them. So that second one does not have to mean as much because if we lose both, you can kiss the AFC East goodbye. We will be stuck in a mess of that, let's say by that time, seven win teams competing for probably that seven wildcard spot. And we will have a whole mess of AFC conference losses behind us it's it will not go in our favor i still believe very strongly that if we don't get the afc east our path to the playoffs becomes so narrow that i wouldn't put any money on it but let's get back to the game i think early in this early on in this game sean payton knew 
what kind of game this was going to be. You can tell how he was super aggressive early on. I know the numbers and stats and analytics always say go, go, go. But he was pretty aggressive, and I think he knew that he had to get some touchdowns or he wasn't going to be in the game. And ultimately, you know, being aggressive didn't work out for him, but I respect the attempts. And he was he was proven right, ultimately. He had to get touchdowns where he could. Uh, Josh actually started out the second half not great. You know, a couple of really bad picks. The one there, I guess the broadcast said that he was not on the same page as Diggs. Uh, and the second one, I don't know what he was doing. I, 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 I don't know what he was doing. If it looked like the receiver stopped and tried to settle in the zone and Josh kept leading him and pretty much threw it right to that defensive back. So not sure what was going on with that second pick, but overall, not a bad day for Josh. Still end up with four touchdowns. Got one called back. Dawson Knox caught three. One got called back. And I'll tell you, that is one of the things that we should all be positive about if we're going to be optimistic Dawson Knox developing like he has this year has been wonderful and he's earned a bigger share of this offense and I think going forward into the next few years we're going to see him in that same category as the Wallers and uh, the Kelseys when he has the ball in his hands running that second touchdown is he looked like a wide receiver. I mean, if you, if I wasn't paying that close attention, I would have thought it was Beasley running with the ball. He looked like a wide receiver. He's always had that type of athletic ability. I think he's still going to have his drops. He had a couple last week. I know it was rainy and wet, but I think he's going to have one every now and then. I don't think it's going to be anything like what it had been last year. Uh, but we have, well, I don't. I shouldn't say we. I should say McDermott has developed Dawson Knox from pretty much ground zero and made him into this elite tight end weapon who's just going to keep getting bigger and better and badder when you pair him with Stephon Diggs. And we have Gabriel Davis still on the roster. Cole Beasley's around for another year. We're going to end up getting another number two receiver somewhere down the line, but there's a lot of weapons on this offense. Which brings me to the running backs. I was just talking about weapons. I don't think you can judge a running back's effectiveness just by looking at the stat line, especially when they're splitting carries. If you even pay attention to folks like Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, Ezekiel Elliott, whatever running back you want to compare them to. There are games where they have big games, but they don't start strong. Sometimes it takes them a number of carries to kind of get into a groove and maybe the game plan changes, but you have to actually watch running backs with your eyeballs for two reasons. One, I just mentioned, sometimes it takes a number of carries. It's a very small sample size when you're talking about seven carries. Two, just because you have a carry doesn't mean it's a great carry. And by that, I mean, You can take a carry and much, much, much like Bill's running backs, there could be really no chance for you to do anything with it. So you take the carry and you get tackled for a yard or even a yard loss when you really have no chance. But if you look at Devin Singletary's carries, he is very good at getting a little bit of something out of nothing consistently. And as you saw this week, He's a stronger runner, and I've said this many times. He's a stronger runner than he gets credit for. Look at him moving piles. Look at him dragging people with him. Look at his little shake and bake moves. He is a quality running back. I cannot say the same for Moss, and I'm so happy that Moss is inactive. Moss is not in the same caliber of running back as Devin Singletary. And yes, our offensive line's still bad. That matters too. And a lot of motors carries came in. I believe he had probably three or four carries at the end of the game when the game was already way decided and everybody in the building know that we're running the ball and he'd take a carry and he'd get a yard. And that hurts his stats. That hurts his stat line. It makes you think less of him. But if you watch the games and you pay attention, Motor is a great running back. Breida is not going to keep up this level of breaking them out all year. But he will have those carries. He will. Um, He just has that element of speed. If he can get the corner, he can get 
10, 15, 80 yards. And we're seeing him get involved in the passing game too, which is not something that you can say consistently for Moss. So when he gets the ball in his hand, he does have that extra dynamic. I will say I am a big proponent of running pitch plays and trying to get running backs outside. But I remember this play from the Falcons and Patriots Super Bowl, and I could see it coming. I could see it coming, and I could see this play coming before the snap this past week. The outside pitch to Brita from the shotgun, you can tell it's coming by where the quarterback puts their feet. You can tell when Josh is thinking pass or maybe at least run pass option by the way he plants his feet. But when he stretches his feet out, when he he needs to get that extra leverage to pitch the ball uh, laterally, you can tell that his legs are just a little bit far apart. You can see it coming in the Super Bowl, and that play may have cost him, was one of the plays that cost him that Super Bowl. But we took a big loss on a Brita carry for just that same type of play. And I'm not a fan of that. I think if you're going to run a pitch play like that, you need to figure out a way where you can do it under center or, you know, disguise what you're doing with your feet a little bit. And I'm just an amateur podcaster. I've not really had any football background in 30 years. So if I can see it, I know other people can see it too. And another week and another comment about the referees, the lack of consistency when they're calling taunting plays, running up to Josh and talking trash in his face and headbutting him lightly, but still making contact with him after the play. That's not taunting. Running the middle of the field like Cam Newton did last week. That's not taunting. But don't you dare spin a football, buddy. Otherwise, you'll get a flag, and that'll be a first down or whatever. I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense, and I'm... I want so badly for this to be over, but I suspect that uh, I suspect gambling has some part of this, but I'll never be able to prove it. Uh, speaking of the offensive line, man, Deion Dawkins, woof, woof. What a rough game for him. Uh, he completely whiffed on one play and just grabbed Jersey as a guy's running by him and basically tried to, <laughs> to get pulled around by his Jersey for a minute. Um, Man, he had a bad day, and it was, that was the worst play of the day, but there were other really bad plays where he just looked like he couldn't even get his hands on the guy. Uh, I know folks are making excuses for him because he had COVID in the offseason, and maybe that's true. I'm not a doctor. I don't know how that lingers with you. or, But I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's more mental. Uh, I'm 18 minutes in it to this podcast and I haven't mentioned Trey White and switching to Dane Jackson going forward. I think the loss of Trey White is huge. I think we're going up against Brady. We we're going to go up against a little dink and duck offense of the Patriots. We got Matt Ryan coming up. Um, You know, there might be a couple of easier games, but we are going to miss Trey. Now there are smarter football people out there than I am. That could probably break it down for you, but it's my belief that McDermott doesn't like upgrading cornerback too because it's part of his scheme. He wants Trey White there to take away half of the field. That way he can scheme for the other half. And I think it makes sense logically. Somebody way smarter than me can tell me if that's right, but I believe I'm right. But we're losing that ability to shut down half the field. We still don't really have a good read on Dane Jackson. There's a lot of people who like Dane Jackson based on a play or two that he's made in the league. But, you know, going back to this past offseason and last past offseason, folks that are able to watch those have not been impressed with Dane Jackson. And maybe there's another move out there. There's a a free agent that they have their eyes on uh, that they can bring in and be an upgrade. But I think if you're not worried about losing Trey, I think you're not paying attention. Trey is one of the best players in the league. He gets paid like it because he's worth it. And from 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 Trey to Dane Jackson is just uh, I, it's just a huge drop off. And now we're throwing Levi Wallace out there as cornerback one. And by the way, Levi needs his credit. He's been having a great season. He's been playing pretty well. I'm 
I've been impressed with Levi. He's kind of met the challenge, and he's always been a good corner. This year, he's just a little bit better. Um, I felt like he was upgradable, and you know, I, Brandon Bean needs to take the victory lap on this one because he was right about it. But he's not he's not a cornerback one. That's not what we have there. We have problems. I know we have great safeties, but we have problems there. And we're going to find out if and when we get to the playoffs. That's going to hurt us. Now we can't stop the run. Boy, without Trey, are we going to be able to stop the pass? I guess we have no choice but to find out. Ed Oliver had a great game. Ed Oliver has had many good games that were quiet this year. Um, they don't necessarily always show up on paper, but I've, I think, and I'm probably guilty of this too. Now I've never been a, an Ed Oliver hater. I think he is, he's a great player. He's not Aaron Donald. He's probably not even worth a top 10 pick, but if we had drafted Ed Oliver at 25, we'd all probably have a much better opinion of him. And yeah, he's probably not a top 10 pick. It doesn't mean he's a bad player. It doesn't even mean he's a very good player, and he is. He's smaller, and maybe that's why we could have some problems against the run, but he's a good pass rusher for his size. He's, he's quiet. He's under the radar, but he's a valuable piece of that defensive line, even if he doesn't get uh, the credit that he deserves. Uh, one more note here on the game. Uh, towards the end of the first half, the Emmanuel Sanders grab on the sideline, does anybody know why they stopped, They didn't stop the clock there? Because he clearly was out of bounds. I don't know if they're saying he got touched, but I, I thought he went out of bounds. It looked to me like he was out before he was touched. Uh, I could be wrong, but I don't understand why they decided to stop to not stop the clock there and let it keep running. Mario Addison also had another great game. I know last week he sort of looked silly because he had uh, a sack in his hands and the guy basically just ducked him and ran. Uh, I believe it got a first down of that play maybe, but he had the same kind of play this week, except <laughs> Trevor Simeon was not able to spin around and stamp right. He spun around and went down, so uh, Addison got a sack. But our Mario Addison was there in run support. He was there in uh, pass rushing as well. And I owe Mario an apology. You know, I, I think he's had a pretty good season overall. And, you know, I, I kind of was wanting to cut him, not because I thought he was trash, but because I thought there just wasn't any room. And uh, I, I now see the error of my ways. So I'm glad Mario Addison's still around. Uh, we're going to need him. We're going to need him to help the back end of the pass defense. We're going to need that pass rush to step up even more. Now's the time to do it. Against good offenses and good offensive linemen because we have so much invested. If we can't do it against the best teams, then maybe it wasn't the right investment. But uh, it's, I mean, we're still in season one, right? There's still time for them to get it better through their careers. But specific to this year, uh, it may have not been the best strategy. You're also seeing a lot on Twitter about that touchdown catch by Stefan Diggs. That was pretty. That was, I'm watching from the television screen and I have no idea which way Diggs is going to go. There's no way Marshawn Lattimore knew which way Diggs was going to go. And uh, I think somebody said he looks like Stevie Johnson. Absolutely looks like Stevie Johnson. That's Stevie Johnson of 10 years ago. Um, Just a real pretty route for the touchdown there. And you can tell that they were getting a little chippy with Diggs and Marshawn, they, they, they exchanged some words, uh, maybe in the third quarter after a catch, you know, they, they exchanged some words and you could see, uh, later in the game, Marshawn Lattimore just basically pushed him out of bounds. He, he got frustrated and, and just pushed him right out of bounds and, and, uh, getting in his head. And that's what you like to see. I had never listened to a game called by Drew Brees. I've always been a fan of Mike Tirico. I think Mike Tirico was one of the best. And Drew Brees did a nice job. I don't think he was very biased. I mean, of course he was probably pulling for the Saints in his heart. And, you know, a big part of his identity is tied to that city. But I think overall, 
Breeze did a really good job. Uh, he's not as good as Tony Romo, but I enjoyed Breeze, and I, I hope to see him on some more broadcast. He didn't come out as bad or as uh, biased as I think some people were expecting. One final thought. Fourth and short. We're trying to draw the other team offsides. We don't really have a play called, but we'll just go up there and, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Josh went and did a Tecmo Bowl. Hot, 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 hot. And it was unsuccessful. I just wonder, I just wonder if, because I think everybody in the stadium knew what was up. The defensive line knew. Us watching through the TV knew. People in the stands knew. Coaches knew. Everybody knew what was happening. We were just trying to drop them offside. So you just go up there as a defensive player and you sit down and you don't move. I wonder if, instead of doing it that way, if we do it from a spread and maybe even from a shotgun, if that would make the defense think just a little bit more. Um, I get it. I know. Fourth and inches, why do I want to go all the way back and shotgun when I can basically just fall forward? But I, I just wonder if you're just trying to draw them off sides, if that just makes them think. Because that's ultimately what we're trying to do is make them think about things. If they're up at the line and they're trying to uh, assess what's happening instead of knowing what's happening, then they're more liable to make a mistake. And I just I wonder if that might be something that could work sometime. Instead of just doing everything the same, 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 all the same. Uh, same old play, same old offsides, you know, fake play. But anyway, as I mentioned, I will not have Mafia hot seat this week. I didn't feel like chasing a guest down during the holiday week. But I do have Real or Silly with Justin Goddard. And it's always a good time. I hope you enjoy that segment as much as I do. I like putting it together and uh, I like working with Justin. And the folks at The Wandering Buffalo have always been really good to me. So please make sure you go check out their podcast as well. But without further ado, here is Real or Silly. Hello, I have a fun game for y'all today. It's called, is it real or is it silly? Silly, adjective, laughable or amusing through foolishness or a foolish appearance. Is that for real? Is it real? Silliness. Okay, is it real? Wow. Silliness is defined as engaging in a ludicrous folly. All right, Bills Mafia, it is that time of the week again where I'm joined by Justin Goddard to do the weekly recurring segment, Real or Silly, with one of the best podcasters on the network, Justin Goddard. Justin, what are you doing? I'm, I'm good tonight. I'm uh, pretty glad that this is a, a short turnaround. Um, a little upset by the fact that, you know, we don't really have as much time to game plan and get ready for this game, but... Uh, also, I think it's important that the the Bills are getting back on the field pretty quickly after that just trouncing we took against the Colts. And and I will say, you know, for for how bad the drought years were, I, I will say I've matured as a fan that a loss like that five, seven years ago would have ruined like three quarters of my week. Uh, I'm, I'm glad I'm to the point where it kind of bums me out for that day, but 
you can carry on pretty quickly. And it, it's strange that it's happening that way now versus, you know, we had teams that stunk for 20 years and those losses used to stay with me more despite there being way more of them in a season. So I, I think that I'm, progress. I think I'm opposite of you. I think I had no expectations. So there's lots of like, yeah, well, you know, what was I really expecting? Now that I have expectations, I feel like they hurt more. I'm, I'm I think I'm exactly opposite of you. Yeah, I don't, I feel like it was always, for me, those years were like, as a younger Bills fan, it was always like, you know, the JP Lossman's, the EJ Manuel's. It was just always that like, well, this, I was young, man. Like, it was like this guy starting in the NFL. So just law of number says that one of these guys has to be the guy and then just continuing to be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm hitting the panic button a little bit. I know the Colts are good. I realize that. I know that their record is deceiving, but that's another AFC conference loss and they're piling up. And the only conference games we have left are against one against the Jets and two against the Patriots. So for me right now, looking at the rest of the AFC, and I know there's a lot of football left to be played. Some of these teams could fall back. Some of them could surge forward, which is not what we want either, but the jumbled mess that is going to be the AFC wildcard, I want nothing to do with. If we don't win the AFC East, I think our playoff chances are in serious jeopardy. And I think it's right to have a lot of concern about the Patriots. Yeah, I, I've i been really trying to avoid the panic button. And where, where it started setting in for me is, is actually physically looking at at the AFC East standings and seeing new England is now ahead of us. And I remember going back to like the beginning of the, of the year, like you and I even had this talk where we were like, yeah, if new England gets anything better than cam Newton, they're, they're probably around an eight, nine, 10 win team. But we both kind of had Miami as that, as that number two in the AFC East. And there's something about it being new England that just makes it hurt even more. And I'm I'm really hoping that it was just a, a kick in the gut for for the players on the team to to see, you know, actually being out of that number one spot. But but then I feel like we're going back to the the like this is a wake up call conversation, and I'm I'm kind of done having that conversation. It's you know you can only have so many wake up calls. You either you either got to go win the game or you didn't win the game, and that's it going forward. Yeah. And, you know, penalties are killing us too. And I, penalties are something to coach out of, I think. But I'm really on the train that nothing annoys me more is when you see a sack when you're down by like four touchdowns and Ed Oliver gets up and does a sack dance. First of all, who cares? The game's over. Knock that shit off. Second of all, you do realize they're flowing taunting flags. I mean, just even the past week, they said that they were going to focus on that. And I'm thinking you know what, pump your fist. Maybe you go, yeah, get back to the huddle. That sack was meaningless and I don't want a taunting penalty. Then again, Cam Newton does a fucking dance in the middle of the field and doesn't get a taunting penalty. So who knows? Yeah, that we could go on a whole tirade about the taunting thing, but I, I agree with you on like the, the celebrations. I, I get it a little bit more, even to an extent when it's like a close game and you just made this play. But, but even at that, like, you risk making a, a play that could really change the tide of the game and then just taking a penalty right after. But in those situations, I at least like understand it's, it's an emotional game. I think, I think the taunting is the officiating on that is just ridiculous. Um, but yeah, down, down four scores. Like what are you celebrating? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I was anyway, I was really upset at that game and we'll move on, but I got to say if we lose to the saints, I, I'm kind of calling the time of death on the season. I think it's over. Do you agree? Uh, I don't know if I'll be quite there yet, but that that is when I will be pushing the panic button. Um, I, I just think the AFC as a whole is, is so wild right now that, like for our team in particular, I don't think they're, like other than just winning every game you go out and play, I think there's so much more unknown in the AFC that, you know, a team like the Titans, you know, granted they're without Derrick Henry, but right up there is one of the top contenders in the AFC. They go out and lose to Houston. You know, the Bills lose to the Colts. Worse than that, they lost to the Jaguars. Uh, 
Um, it, it just seems like all of these teams have coughed up at least one game that were just like an egregious loss. Nobody was expecting. Um, so everybody's kind of like in that weird middle ground sitting somewhere within like a game or two of 500. And, and to your point about, you know, that wild card race, if it comes down to the bills and the wild card conversation, we have like no tiebreakers to lean on. So it really just has to be about securing the division from here on out. And you, you just got to, you got to get that game back on the Patriots and then keep pace. All right. We will go ahead and get started. Question one. I like this question. Question number one, Justin, because Levi Wallace I don't feel like you, you don't find many Bills fans that are Levi haters. And that's, you know, we're, we overgeneralize sometimes. I don't think anybody hates Levi Wallace. I think many people thought he was upgradable, but nobody hated him. And this year he's actually, to my opinion, has been playing surprisingly well. He's, he's been playing up. Justin Goddard, does Levi Wallace get an extension in the offseason? I think that one's very real. Real. Um, and to your point, I agree with you. I think he's been playing better this year. And I think he was always kind of a reasonable starter, but when you start stacking up the talent on the defense, he, he's an easy person to look at that could be upgraded. Um, and there's, there's a few things that go into this one kind of being a no brainer for me. Um, the first of which was, you know, him coming back this season, um, when he told his agent, like, we haven't finished what we started in Buffalo. Like don't field any phone calls. I'm going back. Um, number two being, I don't rule out the bills drafting competition for him and depth. Um, but in the past we've seen the strategy be, you know, uh, round six, round seven guy. Right. Um, and bring him in. But even in those situations at other position groups, um, being typically is going out in free agency and before the draft, he's he's filling those perceived areas of need with a player so he can kind of wait for the board to fall his way and and really be able to take that best player available. Um, so I think if you if you don't give him an extension, then, you know, you're opening up another hole that you're going to have to you're going you're going to have to deal with it um, versus having the luxury of, well, if a guy doesn't fall to us in the spot the value that we perceive him, you know, now we got to go out and chase a guy. Um, so I, I think knowing what his baseline is in this system in particular um, makes that a pretty easy extension. in in my opinion, I agree, but I, I have concerns and one is yes, Levi wanted to come here and he came back. I think he took like a million and a half to stay. That's great. I love that he wanted to be here, but, Levi also knows that his window opportunity in the NFL to earn money is really short. I don't know what other looks he's going to get. I feel like Levi could get a two or three year deal from somebody else for, I don't know, 10, 12 million, something like that. And if we don't match it, we have the opportunity to lose him. And I know that salary cap is tight again, cause coming year, but I think they're, they at least want to keep him back. And you know, to your point about we saw this past year, Brandon Bean was perfectly content plugging all of the holes last year with the same players from the AFC championship game and almost thought that that was good enough. Like just assumed that we're going to be good, but he failed to upgrade some key positions. And to be fair, I thought cornerback was one of those. And here we are talking about giving Levi an extension, but he also ignored things like interior defensive tackle he in he ignored pretty much the interior offensive line so i don't know i i think he he probably does get something i, I think they at least make an attempt does he does he come back for anything less than like a two or three year deal for 10 12 14 million i don't know i don't know i have questions but I, i'm gonna agree with you yeah i i think the number will be important to this and Part of it for me is, you know, we as Bills fans know what we expect from Levi Wallace. And, 
you know, we know that he's going to give up a, a handful of catches, but he makes the tackle. Um, and I, I guess I just kind of get to the point where I'm not sure how other teams across the league exactly view him and, and like what that number would be for him. Um, I feel like he gets something, you know, decent compared to what his career has been so far, but I I'd be surprised if it's more than like in the eight, eight, $9 million a year range. Um, I think if it's somewhere around that number, we probably bring him back. Now, if there's a team out there that offers him 14, 15 million, uh, I think if a case like that arises, I don't, I don't think you can match that salary. Yeah. I mean, it's another, we're still not recovered from COVID. It's going to be another tight cap year. It's going to go up, but it won't be the same as a normal off season. So we're still going to be looking for ways to save some money and, you know, Brandon Bean can certainly make it happen. We could give Trey white some more money or, you know, there's things we could do, but uh, you know, I, I keep running. I, I can't predict him drafting another cornerback in the first or second round ever. I just have to accept that's never going to happen. Um, so I, I believe I probably is the safer thing to do is bring him back rather than rolling the dice on somebody like that. Agreed. All right. Question number two. Question two. By the way, Justin, you may or may not do that. This Thursday is Thanksgiving and the Bills are taking on the Saints. And we're coming off just a really disappointing loss against a run-heavy team. Now, I'm not a fan of the Saints offense with Taysom Hill. I don't like it. I don't think it's sustainable. I think it's a gimmick. But against the Bills, it just might work. Justin Goddard, do the Saints score 28 points this week? Is that real or silly? Um, I have to go with silly here and a bunch of silliness. And I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Um, but I think it's more unlikely than not. I, I think for the way the saints offense is running, you know, they're going to, they're going to be pulling out all the stops knowing that they have a tough bills team coming in. I think we see some gadgetry with, with Taysom Hill. Um, but where, where I'm at right now with it is, you know, we have Elvin Kamara and Ingram both questionable right now with knee injuries. Um, obviously, you have Mike Thomas out. And a guy I was looking at, like, I was lo- kind of looking at their running back depth on, like, you know, who plays if Ingram and Kamara both don't go. And they have uh, Ty Montgomery as a receiver. He's also questionable this week. Um, so I think it's kind of a combination of the lack of weaponry, um, but also a bill's defense that's, you know, and we talked about maybe the numbers are a little inflated, but bill's defense that was number one in the league that just got absolutely smoked last week. And I think there's a certain amount of pride that goes into it that they're really going to want to come back in and really show who they are. Um, and I just think if you're down those running backs and then you're relying on a combination of Trevor Simeon and Taysom Hill to to beat you in the air um, with their weapons against our secondary, I, I like our chances of keeping the score low, maybe creating a couple turnovers. Mm, I hope so. I am going to borrow some of your optimism because – as you and I were just talking about before we started recording, I'm a little bit in panic mode. I am. <laughs> and uh, the Saints game, I've not really had a good read on them for a while. I don't really know what type of team they are. I, I think they're probably more dangerous with Jameis, but I don't know. I, I guess I'm having a really sour taste in my mouth uh, about this Bills defense right now. And Taysom Hill starting if he starts is it's just a recipe for more of last week. Maybe it's just something I'm watching and, I don't feel good about it, Justin. So hopefully you can make me feel better. Yeah. Something I, I kind of figured out doing my research for, for the wandering Buffalo this week is kind of the further away from the bills. I am the more my, my knowledge becomes less complete about other teams. Right. So when we remove ourselves from the AFC altogether, I start looking at the saints and I'm like, 
I'm I'm just just looking at I haven't watched every Saints game and I start looking at the position groups and I start looking at the numbers and I'm like, man, how is this how did this team even get to five and five? But they're doing it. So I would be lying if I didn't say there was that degree of panic to me. And it it's largely based off of, you know, I thought this Colts team was a good team. I thought that was gonna be, you know, a tough win, but I didn't expect to just get embarrassed on our own field. Um, you know, I, I thought that the Jaguars game might be a little bit tighter than a lot of people are expecting. I, I wasn't expecting to lose to Jacksonville. So yeah, when I go into this game, I'm, I'm expecting the bills to be able to handle business against the saints, but they've, they've left that room of doubt for me at this point where if you told me on Friday that the bills lost to the saints, I, I wouldn't be all that surprised at this point. Yeah. And you know, it's just, essentially a three-day turnaround week. I mean, they're probably going to take one day for travel. I don't know if they practice on Monday or not. I'm guessing they get a rest day after a game. So you have one day really practicing to try to clean things up. Now they can go over film and maybe do all the other stuff while they're traveling or on their rest day, I suppose. And maybe they do, but (sighs) I don't know. I, (laughs) I, uh, my expectations have changed so much that now I, I don't know that I want to really feel confident about any game left on the schedule right now, except the Jets. And that's not saying anything. That's that's a low bar to clear. Yeah. It, I mean, the, the silver lining for me here is that the Saints are also facing a short week. That They seem to be pretty banged up, and we seem to be, you know, closer to being back on the right track injury-wise. Um, but, I mean, there, there's still so much unknown about players that we may or may not have available. And it's, it's kind of like the root cause that we've seen in these losses, you know, the shuffling of the offensive line, the, the changes in, in the defensive line with star out and Edmonds out. And, you know, for, for what it's worth, Edmonds practiced in full today. So, you know, hopefully we, we get him back out there. Um, But yeah, there, it, it's also on the short weeks. There's, there's so little time with the practice sessions and everything for even us as like content creators to, to really know, you know, who to expect out there or not on, on Thursday. So I think there's really a lot up in the air and, and I'd say I'm probably at like a 60% confidence and this game going into the beginning of the season was like a 95. So definitely, definitely moved a little bit. All right. On to question number three. Question three. Justin, I have heard Sal describe Bandon Bean as a famous overcorrector, right? If we can talk about when he had to rebuild the offensive line going back into Josh's rookie year, we can talk about how last year he really overcorrected with the defensive ends and the year before, maybe with the interior. This year, I mean, I don't think it's even debatable that the biggest area of need on this team is the interior offensive line. And I'm even going to consider Mitch Morse in this conversation as well. But the question is, real or silly, Justin, the Bills draft two interior offensive line in the first four rounds in April. Is that real or silly? Um. Okay, so, so you adding on the first four rounds puts this one as silly to me. A bunch of silliness. Um, I do think we draft um, two interior offensive linemen, um, but I think it it looks more similar to what we did with tackles this year, where it's like a third and a fifth round. Now, granted, we didn't have the fourth round pick this year. Maybe it would have looked different. Um, but I I think this I think this is going to be a case of you know, our trenches struggling aren't for a lack of trying from Brandon Bean, right? I mean, he's bringing in a ton of guys every year and, you know, I'm starting to question if, if maybe he's just not great at evaluating offensive linemen and doesn't know exactly what he wants, but he's, he's throwing assets at the position. Um, so I, I think we probably maybe try to bring in somebody in free agency that's kind of kind of like what we talked about with the cornerback position um, to get yourself like the stopgap while 
drafting, you know, who you perceive to be the future. Um, and I think we kind of did that with Spencer Brown this year and never really expected him to start. And then, you know, he was making too much noise in the practice setting to ignore him. And, and we see how that's working out. Um, so I would say just kind of with some of the other holes we have on this team, I would say maybe round round, maybe round three and round five, but I don't think it's two in the first four rounds. So you don't think he's going to make any real meaningful investment after everything we're seeing right now. I mean, cause I keep in mind as much as we like Spencer Brown, him starting was not, that was, we're doing it out of necessity. That was not the plan, you know, at the beginning of the year and, and he's in there right now and he's playing well, but that wasn't the plan. You know, we, Mitch Morse is not a great center. I'm sorry to those that are supporters, but I just don't see it. And, you know, we have Botker who I wanted to see more of, and he's absolutely terrible. Cody Ford, I'm, he might not even make it through the season, honestly. So of those three spots with a $350 million quarterback, you don't think they're going to make any meaningful investments there. So it's not that I don't want them to. Um, I've just kind of found that, Brandon Bean does not like my brand of draft strategy. <laughs> so I kind of. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You told him to sign Bobby Hart. <laughs> I was joking, Vince. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, guys. I did that one. Um, yeah. It, it's not that it's not that I wouldn't want to make those investments and kind of thinking of our other positions of need. Um, it, it might kind of move it up. A little bit be just just based on the fact that you know if we're talking cornerback they like to draft those later Um, maybe we're looking at a running back maybe we're looking at you know interior defensive linemen Um, those are usually positions you can find a little bit later in the draft so maybe maybe that gives it the ability to to move up the priority list a little bit Um, and just my gut feeling it kind of feels more like they're going to take a couple swings in free agency and they're, they're going to go a couple mid round picks and, and we're going to hear a press conference. That's like, yeah, we're trying to optimize the window of this year, but also look to the future and long-term answers and, you know, that, that type of line of thinking. So I'd kind of be surprised if it was two in the first four. Okay. I'm going to disagree. I, well, I say this is true. I, I think he's going to, I think that he's the overcorrector. I think he's, I think he's seeing, well, I can't even say that. Uh, who knows what he sees. I want to say he sees the same things as the rest of us, but I don't think that's true. Uh, I, but I do think he's going to want to protect Josh. And I think he knows that there's a problem on the offensive line. And I think he's going to overcorrect. I think he's going to overdraft for it. I think he's going to take a couple of swings on some, B or C level talent free agent guys uh, to get in here and, and just create competition. You know, we want to put pressure on everybody, but um, I, if he ignores the interior offensive line for a second off season in a row, that's pretty egregious foul to me. And I don't know that I want to stick up for it. Like everything he's done well, if he went into this next season doing the same thing, it would almost wipe it all out. I think. Yeah, I, I agree with that line of thinking. Um, I, I'd actually, you know, when, when the word overcorrect gets thrown around, it, it almost like sounds like it's got the negative to it. And honestly, if we're in the position where we're choosing between not doing enough and overcorrecting, like go crazy and overcorrect. Um, I mean, the talent we have at, at most of the positions on this team, if you have to take even – two, three, four swings at, at the offensive lineman in this draft. I'm, I'm all for it. And, and hopefully you get a couple hits out of it, but I'd hate to see, you know, like, well, we drafted uh, say a guard in the second round, so we don't have to do anything else. And then say that guy doesn't pan out and we have, we have no backup plan. We um, did. His name was Cody Ford. <laughs> yeah. Wolf. Yeah. Yeah. I hope he's not around next year, but even, even on that, I believe he's still on a rookie deal. So I think, we probably see him still in the building next year too. Yeah. 
bring in more competition and let the best guys do it. I mean, it, you're going to get the best out of somebody, right? Cause somebody's hungry and somebody wants it. And maybe, maybe Cody Ford just was never really that talented to begin with. Maybe it, it's, it's okay. You know, I, I don't expect Brandon Bean to hit on every single draft pick, you know, you're going to miss some and that's okay. I think the bigger error is staying committed to somebody that's clearly not working out <laughs> than to, you know, not take swings. I'd rather you take swings and admit that, there, that there's an error. Yeah. I'm actually glad you said it that way because this is, it's something that I've kind of praised being for as a GM that seems to be shifting. It, it shifts with his draft picks, I guess. Um, Cause we've seen him, we've seen him take swings and admit that it, you know, it was a mistake and move on from it very quickly. Um, you know, you think about, Zay Jones, Zay Jones technically wasn't his draft pick, but they moved on from that pretty quickly, brought in Kelvin Benjamin. That didn't work. He was gone the same year. Um, and just some other, some, some of the other guys, but then we're seeing like, you know, Cody Ford, um, in my opinion and overcommittal to Zach Moss. I just, that's a whole separate issue, but I just feel like he, he hasn't done enough to keep earning his touches on the field and, we're ignoring other people that that maybe could earn earn more time, but it seems like a little bit of uh, over defensive of his draft picks and really wanting them to work out. So I don't know. I guess we'll see what happens with with a couple of those guys going forward. Yeah, he does like to bet on. He bets on coaching is what you know. Listen, to guys like Sal, that's what they think. You know, we, Tremaine Edmonds, we can coach him up. Ed Oliver, we can coach him up. Dawson Knox, we can coach him up. Epinenza, we can coach him up. And he's had different levels of success. Like, I don't think Tremaine Edmonds is an absolute waste. He's not an elite linebacker, but he's okay. You know, uh, I think Epinenza's still growing. I think there's still more to get out of him. You know, Dawson Knox, we're starting to see a little bit of fruits of that, but he had some pretty bad traps this past week. They came back all of a sudden. Um, I don't know. I, don't, I, I He doesn't mean it's going to work out for everybody, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been really nice with uh, yeah Dawson Knox had a rough game, but yeah, seeing seeing that third year development out of a lot of these players, I think also kind of lends itself to doubling down on some other players. Like, ah, we were right about these guys. It just took took some time, and then I I don't know. There's just there's just a couple of them. Like to me, it's it's very obvious just to my untrained eye that Cody Ford doesn't have it. Um, to me, I think Zach Moss for being billed as this, you know, hit you in the mouth power back. I, I, I feel like I've I never see, seen it. Yeah. I see Singletary run more physical than Moss on, on almost every touch. I mean, I uh, love that. You said that Justin, you and I were already buddies, but now I love you even more because that's so obvious to me. Yeah, to, to me, there there's so many times. I think it might have been this show we were talking about, um, like Zach Moss in like a third and one situation, and you know he doesn't just plow straight forward. It seems like he's he like shies away and he's waiting to get hit. And like if Zach Moss is my, I'm gonna thump you running back, and I can't get a first down when we run it on third and one, then I. I I don't see the role on the team. If you want him to be, you know, pass protection, I think Singletary's fine in pass protection. If you want him to be a receiving running back, Breed is a better option for that. So I, 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 I always kind of thought Singletary and Moss were redundant because um, they're too similar in skill set. Um, but now even more so that that I'm just not seeing the development of of who I thought Moss was going to be. Yeah, I've been feeling that way for a long time. And when I see other people say that, well, motor or Moss is better than motor. I'm like, what? I, I mean, if you look at the stats, the stats don't show it. If you have the eyeball test, the eyeball test, like I, it's just because we drafted him in the third round and he's shiny and new and they want him to be that. And he's not. I mean, that's the way I feel. And uh, I'm so glad that you said that. I like it when people agree with me because I feel smarter. Yeah, and and the conversation comes full circle, you know. Neither of them can really do much of anything without, you know, the offensive line being better. 
Um, but on a pretty consistent basis, I, I just see Devin Singletary make more out of bad opportunities and, you know, he's not exactly a, a run straight forward kind of guy, you know, he's making people miss in the backfield for a lot of these gains he's getting too. Um, I just see like, if you were to improve the offensive line in front of these running backs, I think Singletary becomes a legitimate, like middling of the NFL threat. And I just don't think Zach Moss is ever much more than who he is right now. Amen, brother. Amen. Singletary runs a lot harder than he gets credit for. I mean, just look with your eyeballs, how small and freaking compact he is. And he moves the pile and he falls forward and he's got all that shiftiness to him too. Like I, I will never understand the hate for motor. Like the guy has done nothing, but I mean, last year was bad for both backs, but this year it's clearly motor. Clearly ready for, ready for my least favorite part of this conversation though. Uh, let me brace myself. Okay, go ahead. So, in my mind, I'm thinking neither of these running backs is really in the territory of getting a second contract, right? Um, but just I, I agree with that. Singletary being in the building that that one more year, and if you're not giving out that second contract, and you still have a guy on the roster that's on the rookie deal, I, I think you do end up bringing in maybe drafting another running back, maybe another third round running back. But I think we see Singletary leave the team before we see Moss leave the team. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't think Moss is going to get a second contract either, and and Motor will. But honestly, before the the deadline, I was it wouldn't have surprised me if we flipped one of those two for like a sixth round pick, just to make room for Breda. It would not have surprised me at all. I think that would have been a great move. Well, I, keep Motor and get rid of Moss. <laughs> but that's the right. important part. 32 minutes for real or silly, Justin. I think oh, this is. Oh boy, we went on tangents today. Yeah, this is a record. Do you have anything else for me? No, I think we covered it for this week. That was a okay. good one. Well, you can find Justin on Wednesdays and Thursdays right here on the Built in Buffalo Network. He is part of the Wandering Buffalo with his partner in crime, Andrew Tuchanks. And if you're not listening to them, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? Justin shrugs. You can't see it because it's not a it's not a video form. But sometimes I forget I'm not in video form. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Justin. Thank you so much. We'll do it again next week. All right, man. Have a good one. Go build. Go, go build. This week, somehow, you have made it through another episode of Buffalo in the Brain. And why do you keep doing this to yourself? I don't know, but I appreciate it. Thank you so much to Justin Goddard and the rest of the Built in Buffalo crew. I will talk to you all next Monday. where We will be getting ready for the big Patriots game on Monday night and hopefully coming in with a W. I've got some anxiety over this game, too. So talk me down, folks. Talk me down. Remember, squeeze somebody close to you. You do not know how many days you have left on this planet with those you love. Please be kind to everybody else around you. Please wear a mask and go Bills. If you were not absolutely satisfied with this podcast episode, please contact your state senator or the postmaster general. Please be sure to mention, Vince Taylor said that you are a big fucking cryass. Here we are, I'm out of my third Pro Bowl. We're talking about our idiot podcaster who got liquored up and ran his mouth off. So what has the sports world come to? We're talking about idiot podcast.
boy, I'm sure glad that's over with. Me too. Yeah, but you know, I learned something today. Just when you think this show is terrible, something wonderful happens. What? It ends. <laughs> You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.